I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Helen Oyemi and her latest novel, Pieces. Helen Oyemi is the author of The Icarus Girl, The Opposite House, White is for Witching, which won the Somerset Maugham Award, Mr. Fox, Boy Snowbird, Gingerbread, and the short story collection, What is Not Yours is Not Yours. In 2013, she was included in Granta's Best of Young British Novelists list. And today we're going to be talking about Helen's latest novel, which is Pieces. Helen, welcome to Little Atoms. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Tell us, first of all, how you would describe the novel? I would describe it as a train book. (laughs) A lot of different, I feel like it has a lot of different hats on at once. So the first hat would be a train book and then also a non-honeymoon honeymoon story um, with all the kind of, because I feel like that's a very special type of story in and of itself. And then also a slightly metaphysical mystery um, slash crime story in that you have all of these characters gathered together and they have committed a crime against someone, but they don't know what it is or how they're linked. And so the story sort of slowly places them into awareness of of what they've done and who or what they've done it to. And also just a sort of what if you broke up with someone four years ago and they didn't accept your breakup, but you you weren't aware of that and went on with your life type story. Um, So lots of lots of different strands. Yeah, I mean, you said a train book and, and, you know, people might think, what on earth is that? But we can think of there is like a, a sort of micro genre of books set on trains, whether that's Murder on the Orient Express or, you know, mm-hmm. Lady Vanishes or, you know, more latterly something like Snowpiercer or something. And obviously a train presents us with almost like a country house, thinking again to Agatha Christie, like a, a hermetically <laughs> sealed environment where our characters, you know, are ostensibly stuck for a period of time and they are literally mm. on a journey, not just metaphorically, mm. on a journey a- across mm. the course of the book. And as you've just said as well, it's a, a genre that also lends itself very much, or, you know, a lot of those ones I've just mentioned are mystery stories. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just tell us more about why you, why you wanted to write a train book. Something about moving without really being conscious of moving in quite the same way as in every single sign. It's not the same as, um, say, being on a plane where 
you're obviously moving when you just if you even if you look out the window you're kind of like wow I'm flying but with a train like you have all of the evidence um, from sound to looking out the window that you're going somewhere but it feels like you're in a very still hermetically sealed space and as we've seen with train stories it kind of allows very strange things to happen between people it's almost as if the rules of society or like of, of just ordinary interactions change like people just kind of have very frank candid conversations that they wouldn't have on the platform but once they get onto the train and the train is moving um it's possible to just kind of peel back all the layers of um of yourself and your stories and and what you want from other people and and what you've done in your own past um all of these things seem possible in a train setting but really i think it was just from reading olga takajuk's flights which is um about flights <laughs> but she does have a section where she mentions trains and talks about how train travel sort of forces you to move across time and space along with the train like you have to move mentally and physically with the train like you're not you don't really have a permission to detach from it. And so then that started me thinking, oh, I want to take train books. And it also made me just want to ride a lot of trains, which I did. Well, as many trains as you rode in your research, you can't have ridden one that's exactly like the lucky day, the the train at the centre of this story, which is a very unusual train, to say the least. Uh, Tell us something about the lucky day. Well, it was a tea smuggling train that has now been repurposed as a sort of um, kind of sanatorium. And I mean that in like various ways in that there's a person on the train who has to fulfill a sanity clause. So the train has basically been repurposed to keep her sane. And obviously what sanity is and like the sort of basic standards differ from person to person. So it's very specifically tailored to this one person, Ava Kapoor, which means that it needs to have a sauna car and... um and a garden car and like all of the things that she likes. And the train itself, I guess, you know, this is, it's often a cliche to say that, you know, a house or an environment or or something is, is almost a character in the story. But this train has the feeling of almost feels like a living thing. Oh, interesting. Well, it might be, that might be from the perspective of Otto, who... Indeed, the description that Otto gives of the Otto yeah, is he... the story. I think because Otto likes to personify, like, um, Otto has this companion, it's a mongoose, and, and he really makes, he really makes iPad the mongoose into a person as well. So I kind of feel like, and it was fun to write from Otto's perspective, because everything that he sees, like, whether it's animate or inanimate, um, sort of speaks to him in some way, and that was kind of, <laughs> it was interesting. Tell us something more about what a tea smuggling train was. It was just in the bad old days when there was a 113% tax on tea, um, which is a historical fact. Like I was in shock. Uh, it was like, what? how could tea be so expensive? So people smuggled tea amongst other things. So, I mean, the lucky day was tea and emeralds. I think I just like the idea of in the not so well maybe it is the distant past um people striving so hard to to bring tea across borders to bring something that we now see as like a breakfast drink or like a a normal social drink across the seas and across the train tracks and um just this hidden side to tea 
I mean, I wanted to talk about that, the sort of the setting of the novel is contemporary. You know, Otto and Xavier are main characters have Instagram accounts. It's also set in deepest Kent, the station where they, you know, they embark upon the uh, the beginning of the train journey. Seems like, you know, the most mundane place imaginable for this, you know, incredible, mm-hmm. fantastical train. And there's these elements of the train. I mean, obviously there are, you know, steam locomotive tourist lines that, you know, that exist. But this this train itself seems even older than that. Um, mm-hmm. And just that, that sort of idea that once they're on the train, mm-hmm. the idea of like time itself time plus memory you know those flashbacks and things just seems Mm. to become more fluid than it is out in the real world Mm. there's that definite I think that train time is a definite thing and but also I think I really loved the idea of having this couple set off on a journey and then coming back and everyone being like, how was your non-honeymoon honeymoon? Where did you go in the end? And then they have no idea. And I think that that's actually true of a lot of our train journeys. I mean, we know we know where we got on and we know where we got off, but we're actually either don't care or don't really have time to register all of the places that we passed through on the way to the final destination. So there's a way in which we actually were in this place for two seconds or so and just didn't register it at all and I feel like there's a kind of cumulative building up sometimes I wonder about all of these places I've been in without being aware that I was there and sort of what they have to think or say about that and there's a character on the train who's kind of a a representative of that the forgotten stops in this case it was kind of the forgotten relationship stops the way that when we have various relationships and then find the one that we think of as the one we're sort of like oh the past relationships were just sort of you know stops on the way to this to this perfect destination and it's not and that's not necessarily the case for the for the person who's been left behind like there's a stop on the way en route Tell us something about Otto and Xavier Chin, who are, are our main sort of protagonists. As you've you've already mentioned, you've already alluded to, they are they're a not married couple going on their mm. not quite honeymoon. Mm. Um, they they've got something to celebrate, but they want to be very clear about what exactly it is that they're celebrating. <laughs> which I look at them. Um, they Otto is a hypnotist, not a very good one. <laughs> And Xavier is a, is a ghostwriter, actually an excellent one. I, I sometimes wonder, I feel like this is something I know about Xavier's character, but I wonder if he knows it or if Otto knows it, because I don't think Otto reads his book either. So you've got a sort of indifferent, uh, a hypnotist of indifferent abilities and a ghostwriter together. And I suppose what they have in common is that they're very observant of, if not their environment, but of how other people are reacting to their environment because they need it. Like this is how their their minds work and this is how they process life. And it means that I almost wonder if there's some sort of sacrifice you have to make between being aware of your own internal processes and being so focused on what's going on with other people. Because I think that that's what happens to them. I mean, over the course of the train journey, they have to revisit like all sorts of things that they ignored from their recent past it sort of feels like they could have saved time if they had just noticed what was going on with themselves before getting on the train. Tell us why, ostensibly, and we're, again, we, we, we're obviously not going to give too much away about what happens in the book and the sort of revelations along the way and the mystery, but tell us how they've ended up going on this journey. Um, they have an aunt who is... Um, <laughs> 
she's an independent solitary type but kind of but not really like she just wants to play some cards so she so she invents the reason to send them off on this trip but she kind of makes it she doesn't want to tell them her reason at first so she kind of makes it seem like it's um out of the goodness of her own heart and her concern for their mongoose companion she's like oh he's gonna he's gonna turn bad like if he doesn't travel <laughs> so so off they go I mean they're, they're basically kind of forced out on holiday <laughs> what is it you say a mongoose has to travel before he's 30 otherwise he'll become narrow-minded <laughs> yeah <laughs> so let's talk about Arpad who is the uh, an extremely venerable mongoose with a a Mm. long pedigree of sort of you know animal companions that have looked out for um, Mm. Otto's family and and his sort of ancestors tell us something about him I've heard is um, I don't know I feel like my perspective of him changed once he met Chela, like he's I think he seems like the sort of mongoose who's very um knows his own mind like laid back but but won't but can't be pushed into any particular perspective or position and then he meets this lady mongoose and just like is completely enthralled her so I don't really <laughs> I don't really know like what to make of what I've heard from that um but I think that before you know before he started dating he was a very good companion to to Otto and a sort of like counterweight or a counterbalance to um to Otto's sort of flights of fancy like I've heard very much like has his his paws on the ground or had Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Helen Oyemi and we're talking about her latest novel, Pieces. And Helen, to kick us off in, in the second half, just, just want to talk about one more character and that's someone you've already said a little about, Ava Kapoor. She's the, the owner of the train. Tell us something more about who she is and, and, and her predicament. Um, I think she might, Ava Kapoor might be the most mysterious character for me in that. You know, and I'll leave this up to the reader. Like I just kept switching sides and couldn't really decide whether she was the bad guy or <laughs> whether she had been. What she was the subject of just some awful prank that had been played on her, and it all sort of it all centers around her insistence that she can't see this one person. And you would think that since I was the person making the story up, I would be I would know like what the situation was, but I really couldn't. Like I couldn't see through. Ava and what was going on I felt like she her story was very consistent and she was very consistent in her actions but there was just something I don't know some edge that seemed it seems like she had some kind of motive that was not that I genuinely can't see this person <laughs> motive and I could I couldn't figure out what that was it's interesting writing a character like that who's kind of keeping something from you um so she's yeah she's she's inherited this train like that's just been she's she's from a long line of of tea and emerald smugglers who settled in the Midlands eventually. And she's a musician. Um, she plays a theremin, which has different effects on, on different passengers on the train. And yeah, and maybe it's, I think a bit the effect that she has is maybe what makes her so ambiguous just because it's, she has such different effects. Her and her music have such different effects on the characters that it makes it difficult to kind of have a consistent picture of Ava. Well, I wanted to talk a little later on about how the how the book came together, but this I think that that leads on quite well after you just talking about you know how parts of Ava's character are, are opaque to you. So let's talk about how the characters come to you and and how this book, this particular book, came together. I knew that it was going to be a non. I think I put my primarily my primary image of it when I started writing was of it as a non-honeymoon honeymoon book. I was going to have this couple and send them off on honeymoon and make them have a horrible time. And, and I already knew that the reason for them having a horrible time was going to be this unfinished breakup. There was actually an unfinished breakup for both of them. Like they had had this unfinished situation with the same person. And I, and I thought, okay, let's, let's go from there. And everything just kind of came in too. So you had, I had Otto and Xavier and then um, there's another couple on the train, Ava and Allegra. And then um, unexpectedly there's Laura, who's like very, but even she is in a two sort of like her and her scary boss. So Laura is like, <laughs> she's the employee of a Hong Kong loan shark. And she has to, she's just there as an observer to, to make sure that her boss's um, her boss's investments are are going as as he would wish, um, so everything came along in twos, even iPad, and then and then there's a lady mongoose on the train, and from there it was just sort of seeing how all of these different characters play off against each other, and um, in some sense how they undermine each other's perceptions or like understanding of what's actually going on on the train because I think that with Otto and Xavier in particular they keep deciding that they know what's going on and then they find out that they don't and they have to like re reestablish their sense of what's going on and like every time that they try and re-establish they get it wrong. And under what circumstances was it written? Obviously, you know, the publishing industry works very, very slowly, but you know, was this mm. was this like a pandemic novel in terms of your writing? 
Um, no, I've been doing a thing for a couple of books now where I put the dates um, when I wrote the book at the end. So it says, it says here, <laughs> April 14th, 2019 to November 23rd, 2019. Oh, yeah. So it was a good, it was a while before the pandemic. Um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what kind of a train book it would have been if I'd written it last year. Indeed. Tell us something about the title, Pieces, where that comes from. It's from the epigram, which is um, an Emily Dickinson poem about thinking that you've arrived at peace and security and like all of that stuff, like which is characterized as dry land. But actually it's, you know, it's a false, it's a false arrival. And actually the shore is further and further away, particularly the more secure you think you are. And I think that it kind of speaks to the relationships as a journey, um, whether it's a sea voyage or a train journey, but just I think that when you feel like you've arrived, you probably haven't, <laughs> is, the, is the ominous message there. So it's pieces, plural, rather than peace, because I, because I don't think it invalidates the feeling of, yes, like this is, this is the place, this is the one, this is the whatever, if it turns out not to be. I just think that it just adds more to your pieces. How do you personally think this novel relates to your earlier work? Uh, I'm not a thematic writer, so I'm just very happy to kind of go into each book thinking, okay, this is the kind of book this is, um, and then just try and write that book. So it was fun with Gingerbread where it was like, okay, I'm going to write a book about Gingerbread. And before that, writing a book about keys. And I feel feel like I just, um, yeah, I kind of... I need it to be a little bit of a romp and I need to have some shenanigans. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really need themes. And you mentioned a book earlier, Flights, but what other books in particular or writers, what are the writers in, in particular would have been an influence on this particular novel? Um, there's also Zan Shui, who wrote The Last Lover and Love in the New Millennium. Um it had me thinking a lot. I mean, the whole idea of the unaccepted breakup actually comes from um, those Zanshui novels because there is something about relationships um, or something something that takes place within a relationship in a Zanshui story that's like very. I don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> it's it's as if it's as if it's a process or a mechanism that is started and like cannot be undone. Like once once a relationship begins. Like it has a life, it takes on the life of its own. Pretty much. Or, and, and it also like acquires mass. Like it's, I, I think of it more as something like a stone that just keeps rolling until it turns into a boulder and then like it turns into a world or a universe, like that kind of. And the people who were in the relationship, they can disavow it. They can, you know, go across the country. They can forget each other's names. They can like forget everything, but the relationship does not forget. And it kind of puts out these strange tendrils and um and so there's something simultaneously terrifying and awe-inspiring like I guess it's the sublime about relationships in the Zanjue story and I sort of wanted to talk to that a little bit and to these two foolish lovers who thought that they had finished their relationship with somebody <laughs> many years ago and no 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 um and then also some young I had been reading a lot of Carl Jung <laughs> at the time of writing pieces and I was particularly thinking about his way of describing personality as something that's not it's not innate it's something that's earned it's something that's worked out it's something that is um yeah the expression of what you have learned as a person or like what 
what you have come to recognize as a person. And so it was very interesting to have this character who's like struggling to develop a self and is being like prevented and thwarted, particularly by Ava saying, no, there's, there's no such person. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, as personality is a process that can be interrupted, was very prominent in my mind. And that was because of Jung. To finish it off, can I get you to read us a bit? Um, yes, I would love to read to you. I'm going to read um, from a bit early on where Otto and Xavier have just boarded the train and are trying to get their bearings. Each carriage door was sealed with a symbol, a dagger, a bumblebee, a spinning wheel, a harp. Our ticket placed us in clock carriage, so we began looking for a clock shape cast in the same dull brass as the others, a tulip, a telescope, a die that had rolled the number two. We couldn't pass up the prospect of an onboard gambling den. The dice seal was pressed, but the door only opened at the third or fourth try. The first attempt was mine, Xavier went next, then iPad, then me again. The two dots on the face of the dice weren't just adornment, you had to dip your fingers into them and really press. We all bundled into the carriage to have a look, taking our luggage with us so that we could roll it through other carriages as we looked for ours. And we hunched over, heads lowered and shoulders bowed, at least Xavier and I did, once it became fully apparent what an upside-down sort of place we'd entered. All the seats and tables were scattered across the ceiling among the luggage wrecks, looking very much as if they'd settled there after the train had undertaken a particularly vigorous loop-the-loop. The silence had a thin skin. We heard the rattle and chatter of the station, and a woolly murmur that may have been sleep talk from the train's engine. A normalising mesh of sound. We weren't in the correct carriage, but we weren't disturbing anything, and we in turn would not be disturbed as long as we moved on. If you stuck your tongue out, it would dance there, right at the tip, the fizz of conditionality. But Xavier seemed less phased by this carriage than by something he saw in the next one. I followed his gaze but only saw a row of closed compartments. Our pad trekked up the wall, did a tabletop dash across the ceiling, subjected us to a somewhat professorial gaze as if to say, and that's how exploring is done, kids, then slid to the ground and ambled back out into the open air. I made to follow him, but changed course when I saw Xavier headed for the door that led to the next compartment. I've heard went the other way, I said, slipping in between Xavier and the door handle. I know, but you know, but you're already trying to ditch us before we've even left the station. Otto, it's a train, not the auction moors. We don't have to huddle together like hikers lost in the mists. Our faces were very close together, but we didn't kiss. We'd moved, apparently of our own accord, into the exact spot where the weight of that crowded ceiling felt least balanced. Long-backed chairs hovered above our skulls, our wheeled luggage skittered across the bare floor, and I didn't know about Xavier, but I didn't dare break our pose. For that was how our bodies were arranged in relation to each other, lovers on the brink of a steamy clinch. I was the coy one, my left hand gripping the sun-warmed windowsill. Xavier's right hand was pressed to the door behind me, his wrist tickling the top of my ear. I could very easily have turned my head and touched my lips to his wrist, but I could see there was no competing with the view over my shoulder. I'd already lost him to the dim net of doors that ran through the centre of the train. You can't imagine how I longed for this day, I said. And it's finally here, the day I officially become less fanciable than a door. Looking down, he moved his hands over me, slowly, so that I gasped. He said, I like that sound, not a sound that doors tend to make. But then he added, I think I saw her, Otto. Her? I twisted around and tried to see for myself, 
The outline of each door fits so neatly into the ones that followed it that my eyesight, not particularly hardworking at the best of times, almost immediately let me down. There might have been someone that could have been a shape moving around in one of the rectangles further back, but you said her as if I meant to know who she is. Ava. Ava? Ava Kapoor. After a couple of seconds of cold observation while I struggled to look like someone who was in the know, Xavier said, come on, Otto, Ava Kapoor, the resident. Right, of course, Ava Kapoor, yeah. You think you saw her? Well, I definitely saw someone. What was she like? Did she seem... Which words matched my hopes for how Ava Kapoor seemed? Amiable? Tranquil? In possession of all her marbles? I'd read a kind and practical letter of invitation from her, so I don't know why I anticipated an encounter with a Miss Havisham type. I'd like to know what it is that makes that disbelief so rigid, the one concerning women who live by themselves, I mean. Even though I know several, and even though I understand that for five out of seven of the female loners I know, it's truly their choice. The next female loner I meet never benefits from those other friendships I share, because at the moment our paths cross, I instantly revert to, oh God, what ails this person? Xavier said, What was she like? I don't know. I don't know what you're even asking, Otto. But she held up a sign. Well, a word she'd written on a piece of paper. He paused. I think it said, hello. Okay. But it could also have said, help. It could also have said, help? If you don't stop echoing me, Otto Montague, I mean, Shin. It's just, listen, if you had to decide right now what the sign said... Which would you lean towards? Did it say hello or did it say help? Xavier raised his hand to his mouth, dropped it. Help, I think. But she didn't seem frantic. She came out of there. He pointed towards the last compartment in the next carriage, held up the sign. Then I think she shrugged and never mind sort of shrug. And she switched carriages. Was she dressed all in white? What? How does that affect our decision? Oh, okay. Keep your hair on. What decision? What do you think we should do about Ava Kapoor either saying hello or asking for help, Otto, since I'm banned from acting as an individual? Glad you understand the ground rules for this trip. Well, we return the greeting, obviously. Or if it was the other thing, then we help. Exactly what I hoped you'd say. So I've been talking to Helen Ayami. We've been talking about her latest book, which is Pieces, which is out in the UK from Faber. Helen, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me. Thanks so much, Neil. This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman, and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89Up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.